Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the second episode of the Environmental and Energy Study Institute's uh, new podcast, The Climate Conversation. I'm Dan Brissett, the Executive Director of EESI, and I am joined, uh, as always, on our second episode, but still as always, by my colleague, Sydney O'Shaughnessy. Hi, Sydney. Hey, Dan. Happy to be here. Nice to... Uh, see you. I realize this is an audio medium, but we're doing this by Zoom so I can see you. Also nice to hear you. And today on our second episode, we will be tackling climate change through the lens of transportation and specifically how new aviation technologies could reduce emissions. Yes, it's super exciting. And I'm still getting used to recording this podcast over Zoom as well, but I am very excited to jump into this topic about aviation. And I don't know about you, Dan, but I'm really excited for this upcoming discussion. Um, I think it's really relevant because our world is increasingly interconnected and planes are necessary for not just travel, but also the transportation of millions of products. And the aviation industry is critical in the fight against rising emissions. But we know that aviation is a huge topic and we knew we couldn't do it alone. So Dan and I invited a couple of really great guests to speak on this podcast with us. Yes, we did. And uh, the first of those two guests is Jeff Overton. Uh, Jeff is a senior policy fellow with EESI uh, who works on aviation issues uh, with us. He uh, is a former pilot. Um, and uh, a great guy to work with. And uh, if you've been a fan of EESI for a while, you might recognize his name from one of our most downloaded and referenced fact sheets in recent years. He wrote uh, all about uh, growth uh, and emissions in the aviation sector. And if you haven't yet checked it out, uh, it's a great fact sheet, super informative, um, and there are actually more to come on that. So welcome, Jeff. Uh, great to uh, see and hear your voice uh, today. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dan and Sid. Well, I'm glad to be here to talk about something that is uh, very important as the industry works toward a lower carbon aviation sector. You know, reducing emissions will be our focus in one of the three briefings in our transportation series, uh, starting on November 17th, addressing ports, and the 18th for aviation and uh, on the 19th for transit systems. I'm so happy you brought up our upcoming uh, briefing series, Jeff. Uh, so I hope that all of our listeners tune in, but to kick things off, getting right back to aviation, Jeff, can you explain the main ways the aviation sector is trying to reduce carbon emissions, if it's trying to reduce them at all? Oh yes, uh, the aviation sector uh, led by federal efforts in, uh, in the form of NASA, the FAA, the Departments of Energy and Agriculture and Defense and uh, partners in industry, such as engine and aircraft manufacturers, the airlines and academia are all trying to reduce the sector's carbon emission uh, using four primary strategies. And uh, the first, new improved aircraft technology. Second, uh, the use of sustainable aviation fuels. Third, uh, more efficient air traffic management and operations on the ground. And uh, fourth, an international program called the Carbon Offset and Reduction Scheme for International Aviation, or the acronym CORSIA. And uh, the United States participates in CORSIA, which uh, will come into force uh, in the years ahead as the industry recovers from the pandemic. 
Now, looking uh, at today's topic, technology, uh, since the introduction of commercial jet aircraft, technology has really accounted for the greatest uh, improvements in efficiency and reduction in carbon emissions uh, pollution, such as nitrogen oxide and uh, particulates, such as soot and uh, noise. Uh, technology is a critical strategy, and I'm glad we could focus on that topic in this edition. Very interesting. I had no idea about any of that. And I think that's a perfect segue for introducing our second guest today, who is Dr. Faye Collier. Dr. Faye Collier is an expert in aviation technology. He actually received his PhD from Virginia Tech and an MBA from MIT, where he participated as a NASA Sloan Fellow. Currently, Dr. Collier is the Associate Director for Flight Strategy for the Integrated Aviation Systems Program at NASA and was the former project manager of the Environmentally Responsible Aviation Program at NASA from 2009 to 2015. So, you know, he definitely knows his stuff about aviation technology. Jeff thought Dr. Collier would be an excellent addition to our conversation, so he interviewed him earlier this week, and we're going to share that conversation with you. Well, thanks, Sid. Well, Dr. Collier, thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, on this podcast today. We certainly appreciate you having uh, making time for this. And um, I wanted to ask, uh, to begin our conversation, what the process NASA uses in developing new technologies to improve uh, the safety and efficiency of commercial uh, aircraft and uh, sort of the, the, the general timeline for uh, concept to application of a new uh, technology in a production aircraft. Can you give us a sense of that? Yeah, first of all, it's a great pleasure being here today and, and I'm happy to answer this question. Um, the process we use is uh, fairly uh, straightforward. It, it's a uh, maturation process. We began with a with a with a big idea. Uh, it's, it's probably pretty immature. Uh, we can go through uh, a series of um, testing uh, to test the idea. Uh, we start out at a lower technology readiness level when we're doing that, and the idea is to mature that to a higher technology readiness level. Uh, NASA uses this scale, uh, this TRL scale. It's just a simple way to gauge the maturity of a technology over time. Um, to, to advance the maturity of a particular technology, we'll start in the lab. Uh, it may be an individual um, discipline, like perhaps uh, it's an aerodynamic concept or a structural concept. Uh, we'll start at small scale and we'll work our way up to larger scale. Um, we may start integrating the, the technology with um, uh, other technologies where it might, you know, fit into a system, and th that way we'll start uh, testing it, uh, its uh, ability to perform as it's integrated into a system. And so uh, it's a fairly uh, straightforward process, and it, it has some time associated with it. Um, Generally, I think the average is 15, 16, 17 years. Sounds like a long time, but uh, these ideas start out uh, fairly immature, and it takes time to, to mature them over a fairly um, a long period of time. So the industry average is roughly 15 to 16, 17 years to take something 
from uh, TRL-1 to TRL-9, and by TRL-9, it's, it's on board an aircraft, and it's flying around in the fleet. Dr. Collier, can you talk about the uh, NASA Strategic Implementation Plan and how the plan is guiding NASA's current work and technology development? And tell us uh, what are the leading technology uh, projects that NASA is focusing on uh, under that uh, strategic uh, plan? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that, Jeff. Um, the the strategic implementation plan is, is focused on um, six thrusts. Um, there are um, there they are all focused on um, improving uh, the uh, flying public's experience um, in the aviation system. Um, the one uh, that um, the one thrust area that ERA was focused on was thrust three that has to do with subsonic transports. Um, as I mentioned, there are five others. The second one has to do with uh, supersonic uh, transport technology. Uh, I'll give you a quick example of what we're doing there. We've got the low boom flight demonstrator that has been uh, the focus in thrust two supersonic technology. That, that that uh, particular thrust is is looking toward reducing the, the sonic boom of uh, uh, commercial uh, supersonic transports. Boom over land, of course, is a no-no for commercial transport. So we're trying to soften that or eliminate that through the conduct of this uh, low boom flight demonstrator. Uh, we're beginning to integrate the airplane. We'll be flight testing that in the near future. On the um, Subsonic commercial transport technology thrust, thrust three. Um, the, the current focus is uh, electrified uh, powertrain uh, system flight demonstrations. So, uh, over the last um, uh, three to four years, we've been formulating that project. Uh, that project started in earnest in um, October uh, of this year. Uh, it's a it's a five year uh, project. It's funded at roughly three hundred and forty million over five years. Uh, we're working toward finding um, and maturing technology that will uh, be utilized on um, uh, commercial transport airplanes that we all fly on every day. And of course, it's a small step in the beginning. There's no way we at this stage that we can uh, fully electrify. Um, like a 737 or an A320 sized airplane. So we're taking a small step. We're going to integrate uh, what we call megawatt class electric motors with traditional turbofans. And this small step um, will get better and bigger over time as battery technology improves. But what we see in the very near future, let's say over the next 10 years, by 2030, we can get to this megawatt class integrated system, and that might yield a uh, five to six or seven percent uh, carbon footprint reduction um, after everything is taken into uh, consideration. So we integrate this at the aircraft level. We account for the additional weights of, of the battery system. We look at it from an integrated sense, and we're predicting a um, four to five percent um, uh, improvement in the overall carbon 
uh, footprint of the system. What EPFD is doing is um, we're working with industry where, where we've got some risk reduction activities that have been ongoing for the last couple of years, and we're uh, developing a large, larger um, request uh, for proposal that we will be where we'll be seeking our large, uh, large flight demonstrations in the very near future at the megawatt class. And so we hope. Um, by the time um, uh, we get to June or, or July of next year, we will have let those contracts uh, to industry, and we will be working with closely with industry to uh, integrate megawatt class technology and, and be begin to flight demonstrate uh, that technology in late FY23 or early um, FY24. So uh, that's a uh, that's a couple of examples of uh, the thrusts that we have within the strategic plan, um, the flight demonstrations that we're performing to attack those, the challenges associated with those thrusts. I mentioned two, supersonics and subsonics, and that's commercial aviation. Those are commercial aviation-focused transport-style flight demonstrations. And Dr. Collier, can you uh, talk about uh, what you see ahead uh, the next, uh, say, out to 2035 for the electrified uh, aircraft uh, architecture, what, what they might look yeah. like in the form of a hybrid or turboelectric designs? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, what we're going to be seeing, and, and this is really what EPFD, which we talked about earlier, is, is focused on, what we're going to see between now and, and let's just say 2030 to 2035, so there's that window there, we're going to see um, this maturation of these parallel systems, parallel hybrid systems in which you're coupling electric motors to existing turbofan architectures uh, through geared systems. And so this, uh, what I call mildly parallel uh, hybrid approach, where uh, it's this megawatt class uh, approach. Um, let me back up just a little bit. Why megawatt class? What, what does that mean even? So let's just say it takes about 20 megawatts to power uh, an airplane today. In a, in a traditional sense, the, the um, power is, is equivalent to about 20 megawatts. So one megawatt um, electrically um, um, is, is imaginable and is doable between now and the 2030 to 2035 timeframe. So we're not going to see fully electric uh, 150 passenger class uh, aircraft uh, in that timeframe. That's a much longer uh, window. What NASA is doing is we're trying to focus on what we can do right now. How, how can we leverage this uh, technology? And does it really have a benefit? And we believe it does have a benefit if we can overcome the integration challenges. And so that's what EPFD is, um, is focused on, is that mildly parallel hybrid system, um, maturing that technology so that um, when um, the airframe companies uh, and the airlines start demanding a replacement, for the 150C class airplane, uh, this technology will be ready uh, for that airplane. Well, Dr. Collier, could you uh, share with us what you think uh, the commercial aircraft uh, aircraft and 
the 2050 timeframe might look like and what improvements in, in efficiency we could see with uh, these aircraft? Right. Um, that's a really good question. It's something we've been studying for a, a good 10 or 15 years um, and even longer. Um, right now, uh, the industry itself is still extracting value from the basic tube and wing design that we're all familiar with. Um, a uh, cylindrical fuselage with a low wing, um, you know, that's, that's the thing we've been, when we've been flying and improving. And we have improved it greatly since uh, 1960. Um, there's still value to be extracted. Uh, probably the next generation uh, aircraft will look a lot like uh, what we're flying on today. Uh, it's the generation after that and maybe two generations downstream where we'll start seeing maybe departures uh, from uh, the current architectures. Uh, downstream from there, you might start seeing things like uh, hybrid wing bodies, blended wing bodies, lifting wing bodies, more highly integrated um, uh, systems, and um, you can begin to achieve even higher efficiencies with some of those um, uh, lifting wing body type uh, architecture changes. The other thing that those um, type, uh, those longer term uh, lifting wing body type configurations give you is the potential for very, very quiet um, uh, operations around the airports uh, uh, during the landing takeoff cycle. So community noise is an additional benefit that is envisioned for some of these more highly integrated um, uh, architectures that we, we've been studying for quite some time. And they give you um, very large efficiency gains as well as uh, potential for very, very quiet uh, community noise uh, pr uh, footprints. And uh, in the long term, you could actually uh, integrate other technologies uh, for providing thrust for these airplanes, could you not? And, and uh, can you describe some of that's those? Right. Yeah, that's right. So everything we're doing uh, on the electrified propulsion side uh, is applicable. Um, you can start looking at distributed architectures uh, where you can distribute the propulsion system. Um, you can do that electrically. Uh, so you have motors and fans, um, and, and those are, are driven by, you know, initially we're talking about battery packs um, that could evolve to, to fuel cells. Hydrogen-powered fuel cells could provide the electrical uh, current to drive those uh, fans and motors. So, um, yeah, you can start seeing not only the airframe, but the propulsion system becoming part of that integration. And that, that the power of that integrated effect is, is tremendous. So large efficiency gains as well as um, very, very quiet operation. Well, Dr. Collier, I want to thank you for spending time with, uh, time with us today. It's just been fascinating, and uh, we certainly appreciate it. We've learned a lot, and uh, we appreciate all the work you've done over the, your many years at NASA in making uh, the skies uh, safer and uh, more efficient. So thanks, thanks very much. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure to, to be with you today and, and, and address this topic. Thank you, Jeff. That was a really great interview. Uh, we really appreciate 
uh, you reaching out to Dr. Collier and bringing him to the podcast today on this critical and important topic. Um, I was reminded while I was listening to that, that I was in a plane once. And Jeff, you know, pilots love to point out things that are happening outside the plane. Like if you look to your left, you'll see this, the right, you'll see this. Well, a pilot came on or a co-pilot came on and said, look at that plane out on that other runway. That's the oldest plane you're ever going to see flying. Watch it take off. And the plane took off and it left the dirtiest, grossest stream of pollution behind it as it took off. It looked like a dump truck at a stoplight taking off. I've never seen anything like it. And the pilot said, he told exactly what that plane was, the model of it. And it was from like the late 60s or something like that. It was a cargo plane. And it, I never quite realized uh, until after listening to Dr. Collier and talking with you over the last while about your fact sheets, how much progress we've actually made in on aviation and efficiency. Uh, and I just think back on that plane and it was, I'm sure it's a great plane. I'm sure it's a wonderful plane to fly, but I've never seen a dirtier plume of exhaust kind of coming out of a machine before. Um, Jeff, uh, again, thanks. Do you have anything else from um, maybe that you didn't get to in the interview that you'd like to just mention here as a way to round out the topic for us today? Well, thanks, Dan. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I do. I, I just wanted to mention a, a couple of things. Um, in the first case, uh, the Dr. Collier, I, I was fascinated to hear him describe uh, the project regarding electrified powertrain flight demonstration, or the acronym he used was he used was uh, EPFD. And uh, this is really about uh, components required to have a hybrid electric configuration that he described. And uh, this combines actually the thrust uh, from a conventional turbofan engine that burns jet fuel and is augmented with electric power or uh, using electricity to operate smaller electric fans uh, to produce thrust in addition to the uh, turbofan thrust. So the turbofan engines uh, supply the mechanical power to turn generators, which uh, produce electric current. And uh, the components of the powertrain, such as generators and electric motors, will need to be capable of producing and using this high megawatt power that Dr. Collier described uh, to operate the fans or propellers and uh, these components are going to need to be more powerful and smaller and lighter than uh, powertrain components for ground equipment, for example. Uh, the other uh, topic, uh, unfortunately, we didn't have time for in the interview, but uh, is something I want to mention because it's a type of aircraft we might actually see around 2035. And this is called the transonic uh, trust braced wing or TTBW. And this is a new design and uh, concept, and the transonic refers to the, the fact that the aircraft will cruise at about the same speed as most airliners today, uh, fairly close to the speed of sound, about 75 to 80% of the speed of sound. The fuselage will be uh, the conventional cylindrical design, but the wings are gonna look very different. Uh, they'll have a much longer wingspan with uh, wings that are more slender, than conventional wings we're accustomed to from the leading edge to the trailing edge. And this type of wing is called a high aspect ratio and it produces the same amount of lift as a conventional wing, but uh, with much less drag, meaning lower fuel burn and lower carbon emissions. 
So this is something that uh, Dr. Colliers and his colleagues at NASA uh, have worked on and are continuing to work on. And the uh, third uh, uh, item I wanted to mention was the lifting wing body that Dr. Collier described. And uh, the shape of the aircraft uh, is gonna be very different, like you said. Uh, so behind the front of the airplane, the aircraft on both sides will, will expand to blend into the leading edge of the wing is the, is the way it'll look. And it'll create somewhat of a triangular appearance. And, this airframe will make possible ways to integrate other technologies such as electrified propulsion systems and distributed power plants for thrust. And this concept of technology integration, like Dr. Collier said, is very powerful. And one thing we can remember from uh, this interview that he was kind enough to share with us today. So those are just some highlights I, I wanted to uh, focus on before we close here. Great. That was uh, really helpful, Jeff. I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, I think we're just about at the end of our episode. So we've heard lots of great information. Um, Jeff Overton, EESI Senior Policy Fellow. Um, I'll give you the last substantive word of the day. Take us in for a landing. Um, what should people know? What should the takeaway from today be about the aviation industry and its role in emissions reductions? Well, thank you, Dan. Uh, and as we said at the beginning of the program, uh, technology is one of our four main strategies for lowering carbon emissions from aviation. And it has been remarkably effective historically in increasing the efficiency and, and lowering emissions, like you said, from your experience uh, seeing that other aircraft. And as we have seen, technology has a long time horizon for development and incorporation into the fleet. So we really need to work on moving ahead with sustainable aviation fuels also. The other topic in our aviation briefing on November the 18th and continue with programs to improve air traffic management for greater efficiency that the FAA and NASA are both working on. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Um, and thanks to Dr. Collier for taking time out of his week to talk with you um, and help us all learn a lot more um, about um, the aviation sector and its work uh, to reduce emissions reductions. Um, I think that's going to just about wrap it up. Um, thanks for joining us today to our listeners. And our next episode coming up, uh, we will be taking a look at what the election means for climate commitments here at home in the United States, and also, and maybe even most especially, uh, what it means for the Paris Agreement. Yes, thank you so much for joining us, Jeff and Dr. Collier, and I'm very excited for our next episode. Um, as always, remember, if you want to learn more about our work regarding aviation or tune into our upcoming transportation briefing series next week on November 17th, 18th, and 19th, go to our website at eesi.org to RSVP. Also, remember to follow us on social media at EESI online. The Climate Conversation is published as a supplement to our bi-weekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions. Um, subscribe to that newsletter at eesi.org slash sign up. And we now have a slot on Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe to us there if you want to keep listening to more Climate Conversations. Thanks for joining us. And on behalf of myself, Sydney O'Shaughnessy, Dan Brzezette, and Jeff Overton, and everyone else at EESI, we can't wait to see you next time.